Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. And Mike, so he'll be louder. <laughs> nice, really cute. It's set low for me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh my gosh, oh. Look Thanks, at them. guys. Look at, look at this. Thanks. Oh. I want to sit in that one, though. What? Yes. I'll show my good this side. This is a very awesome insight into our marriage. All right. This is good. Oh, these are nice. I have these a direction new. of things, and then Adrian. Marketplace, demands. guys. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Take over church. How are we doing? Good. Yeah. good. Ow! Yo, how good was worship this morning? Yes. Come so good. On. Come on. So, I so love, good. Uh, I like to peek a little bit during worship and um, and just look at the Lord and how the fruit of our church is growing in the middle of service. And honestly, like before a word was ever spoken this morning, there were hands up all over this auditorium just in, just in gracious and expectation for the Lord to come and dwell among his people. And it was super cool to see before us, word was ever spoken, hands are up in this place. And that's the kind of church that we want to have where we are just seeking God, whether anything is said in two hours time or not. Amen. Come on. Well, this morning, things are a little different. How you doing, babe? Doing good. Doing good. We're going to preach together this morning. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. I promise you, I will do my utmost to let you speak. <laughs> Thank you. And to sit in this chair, but okay. the Lord's uh, There's not moving. a lot of room for you to walk, so. There's a mat if I fall. Idea. We're good. That's true. Um, but what brings us here today is because Adrienne decided throughout the week, she was like, hey, what if we both preached and uh, I just told everybody how much I love you and everything that's great about you. And so that's really what she's up here to do. Um, you know what I mean? It's going to be, you know, just we're out here. I'm kidding. But this morning, she's like, I'm going to kill you. Um, this morning, we are continuing our series. We've been in a message series called This Is Us. Have you been loving the summer series so far? Like we said last week, I don't know when this thing is ending. I just know that heaven keeps sending words to our church for this season, for this time. When summer in Michigan, there's a thousand million reasons not to be in church. You got beaches and you got uh, camping and you got all these other outdoor activities because we live in a beautiful, lovely state. God is saying to the church in this hour, no, 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 no. You can do that the rest of the week. You can plan around Saturdays. The church needs to be built up. The church needs to be equipped because we find ourselves in an hour in the earth where a lot of Christians carry the title of Christian while completely missing the purpose of a Christian. And so this is our heart this summer that we would just go after what heaven says we are. And so this morning we're going to continue our series. You ready? All right, who's taking notes? All right, let me silently judge you if you're lifting hands. Hey, uh, Phil, I heard you was eating grasshoppers earlier. Oh, I see how it is. A gentleman in church was offering people grasshoppers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's say John the Baptist. There That's we go. True. Oh, fantastic. Well, if you, grasshoppers. Uh, if, you are, if you are taking notes, the title of our message today, our tag team, what up, girl? Let's tag go. team, come on, uh, is Woe to Thee Alone. Woe to thee alone. When I first brought the idea of, of Matt and I preaching, he didn't know what theme we could preach on that would fall within the series This Is Us. And I asked him, well, why don't we talk about community yeah. at TakeOver? Because who we are at TakeOver is something that we need to be talking about all the time. Because there's new faces here, and they need to understand our heart and get our DNA. And I just thought it was perfect for us to get into. And he, he agreed with me, reluctantly. But here we are. <laughs> Here we are. If anyone's ever spent any a lot of time with me, they understand that I'm a very particular person. It's true. And when I have a set course and trajectory decided for my life and for church and for things, I am very hard to be moved by that. And I have to trust my amazing wife. It's true. So, so the title of our, of our message today is Woe to the Alone. Woe to the Alone. Yeah, we're coming out of Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Babe, you want to read that? Sure. Cool. Two are better than one because they, are, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. He is not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one, against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
Wow, I love it. Well, with that, like we always do, let's pray and let's see what the Lord will do. <sighs> Father God, we just love being your kids. Can we just say that in this room this morning, make that our heart posture today? God, in a, in a time and place where so many in the body of Christ are uh, deconstructing and imploding and walking away and giving up and all of these things uh, that we're seeing in the bride at large, God, we as a house, we as a family, as takeover family, we have positioned and decided today, oh, we're proud to be your kids. We're proud to be sons. We're proud to be daughters. And we are here because we want to know our Father better so we can be like our Father better, so we can move and decide and live how our Father wants us to. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come and move in the sons and daughters in this room as we attempt to play catch up to our brother Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on. Woe to thee alone. Woe to thee alone. So Ecclesiastes is awesome. Ecclesiastes, as Adrian and I were talking about earlier in the week, is written by King Solomon. Y'all know who Solomon is? You ever heard of him? King Solomon is awesome. King Solomon is the son of David, and King, Steve, King David, and Solomon he was in the moment of leading Israel. He is the king now. He's doing his thing. And at one point, things are getting off the rail, and he decides to kind of lead Israel better than what he saw his dad do. He decides to kind of just go and say, you know what? I feel like this is what God is calling me to do. This is my time. This is how he's made me to be king. And we see this incredible moment early on in his life where he decides that he is going to lead Israel in the ways of Yahweh, that he is going to remain steadfast. When all these other uh, false gods are raising up, while all these other people are telling him and speaking into his ear not to do it this way, he sticks with Yahweh. And because of that, what we see with King Solomon is we see God literally go to him and he goes, hey, because you kept Israel underneath me, because you have decided and positioned your, not just yourself, but this entire nation to be a people of Yahweh, I will give you whatever you want. Could you imagine? Could you imagine God just drawing near to you and going, seriously, what do you want? No, no, you don't got to pray. You don't got to fast. You don't got to do anything. Right now, the door to the kingdom of heaven is open. Whatever your heart desires, Lambo, Maserati, paid off student loans, a spouse for some of us. And so, you know, like God would do it immediately. And here King Solomon, he just goes, he literally says these words, I want to govern my people the way that you would govern my people. Asking for anything, how many of us could say that we would ask to govern our lives, ourselves even, our homes, our marriages, our businesses, wherever you find yourself, would we honestly go to God if he opened the keys to heaven entirely, no holds barred, and said, have your way, whatever you want. Go in there and pick your favorite thing out of the toy chest of heaven. And King Solomon goes, I want to govern my people the way that you would. And what's incredible is God says this. He says that I, and the exact verbiage is, I have granted him a wise and discerning heart. A wise and discerning heart. And that's what brings us to the woe to thee alone. I think it's important to say also that Solomon literally had everything. So when God asked him, what is it that you want, that he already had everything that he wanted, yeah. which is a part of why Ecclesiastes has the tonality that it does. Yeah. He has everything that he has ever wanted, and it's still not enough. And when he asks for wisdom, it is, like Matt said, he wants a wise and discerning heart. So Ecclesiastes is one of three books that are consid considered the wisdom books. It's Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. And if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll find a very, very enlightening, hopeful, encouraging, and illuminating book about God-centered wisdom. And when you get to Ecclesiastes, the tonality, like I said, is darker. Um, he's lived a lot of life. He's experienced a lot of things. He's been changed deeply by what he's experienced doing his own thing before realizing that the only way to live life is to live it with God at the center of it by his commandments 
and everything else is futile. And he says that a lot in Ecclesiastes. Everything else is, is just, it's not worth it. And what we can learn in particular from Ecclesiastes in this, this little book that we're coming out of, this little chapter, is how he speaks to friendlessness, community, and relationships centered in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, like, if you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you should check it out. Uh, like the whole Bible. Um, but it's amazing because it really is King Solomon just ripping and going, oh, this is vanity. This mm -hmm. is vanity. Everything is vanity. And he just goes through it until he gets to this point where it's like, the answer is God, has always been God. There is no other way besides Yahweh. And that's really where we find King Solomon in this moment. And so we have Solomon, and he starts off this scripture, and he says, two are better than one. Pause. Two are better than one. Context being, okay, anything that we're going to read in Ecclesiastes, you have to understand this, was written after he has already asked God for a wise and discerning heart. What does that mean? If everything in the kingdom of heaven was open and available to, available to Solomon, and he asked for that, what we are receiving, what we are seeing, what we are reading, what was recorded, what was put down, what the early church decided should be in the word of God after much prayer and fasting of hundreds of people— the reason we have this is because this is an emphatic statement from heaven, okay? He was given the wisdom of God, and with that, we have to understand that this is not a suggestion. This is not to offend the introverts or to tell the extroverts that you've been doing it right this whole time. This is not to, um, you know, like bulldoze how you feel or tell you that your feelings are invalid or any of those things. This is literally heaven's advice saying two is emphatically better than one. And the fact is that we have been given this manual by God. We've been given these letters. We've been given his word. This is all placed here so that you and I can not only discern the heart of God, but we would know God's heart and his purpose for our lives. Amen. Yeah. And so often in our daily lives, I'm telling you, sitting, I don't know what, I don't sit. If anybody's ever met me, this is not a thing. Um, so often in our daily lives, here we are, 2021, as Christians, we find ourselves, you can look all over the places because we have been inundated and infiltrated by the culture of the world at large, and we find ourselves wanting to go at it alone. And like Pastor Scott said earlier, a lone ranger is a dead ranger, okay? We have got to, we have got to understand that when Solomon says these words, this is wisdom from heaven. No matter how you're feeling, no matter if you want to divorce yourself from the body of Christ, that is unacceptable. We are a part of the bride and we are here to be emphatically a part of her, a part of Jesus's bride, the body of Christ. And so this is a manual for our life. And so often, whether it's our dreams, our marriages, our single season, uh, how we operate when we are alone. We just have this desire because of what we have been taught in the world. You see, the world right now is preaching, just like we're preaching right now. The world is preaching division and autonomy. While God is in heaven telling us, pleading with his church, directing his church, you were not made for division and autonomy. You were made for unity and anatomy within the bride of Christ. Come on, somebody. The world is preaching division. And God is saying, no, 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 this is about unity. And the world is telling you, no, you can exist autonomy. You can be outside the body of Christ all you want. You can be outside of community. You can be alone. And God is saying, no, I made you for anatomy, not autonomy. You are made to be together. So when Solomon says two are better than one, guess what, church? We should succumb to that word. That's wisdom. And we should understand in our lives, two is better than one. Amen? Come on, baby. That's good. Um, I, I think that I love how Matt is laying the framework of, of how important this is, unity. Popcorn. Is that me? I have no idea. Unity. Thank you, sir. Um, unity is so important, um, not just within our church, but also as the body of Christ. The churches need to be united. We need to be um, united as, as a faith 
people. And I think it's easy to hear that we have to be united, that we have to be in community. And some of us are like, yeah, but how? How do we, how do, we do that? And in large part, I mean, first and foremost, show up. <laughs> be committed. Like, be here every Sunday. Be at the events that you say you're going to be to. Be at Babe Crew. Be at Dudes Crew. Be at Sanctified. Be at the Godfathers. Be present. And if you can't do all of the other things just yet, be here on Sunday. Be committed to being here on Sunday. Get here early so that you can fellowship, so that you can be in community with others, so you can get prayer, so you can ask for just needing an infilling of the Holy Spirit and get your brothers and sisters to pray around you. Like, that is so important. That's how you do that. Just one, show up. Two, get involved. Um, Evan gave a great team rally this morning that was about the heart behind serving in our community. And he said so well that loving God is loving those around us, and loving those around us is loving God. And being involved is serving in that capacity or just being there to listen for a family, for a, for a sister or a brother. Um, giving of your time is huge. Obviously, tithing is a huge part of that as well. Um, these are all postures of the heart that God wants to engender in us. So that's how we are going about our lives, how we're going about living is in community. Um, this week, I learned a new Jewish word, havruta, which it means fellowship. And it's really cool as I was looking that up. Um, it actually is a really, really old practice where when they study the Bible, they study in twos. So they study in pairs. And they study scripture in pairs in order to deepen their understanding of scripture, show how to make it applicable to their personal lives, and what it means to be part of a body at large. Another important part of Havruta is that if there's any wrong ideas or any kind of misunderstanding about scripture, this is where proper interpretation and application can be given by a brother or sister. So you're not alone. You're two. You're studying together. And you, we do this at Babe Crew. We do this at Dude Crew. We do this at large within the body. There's others keeping each other accountable when they're in the word. If they have questions, we always, always, always encourage you to come forward with any questions you hear about anything that you hear, either from the stage or from someone in leadership. We want you to feel comfortable doing that thing. Um, obviously, getting the wrong idea about a scripture, it's easy to do. That's a loaded book. There's a lot to break down there. If a wrong idea is gotten or a misunderstanding, this is what we're seeing at the world at large, is we're seeing things that are not Christ being toted as Christ-like, being toted as truth. And I believe myself personally that a lot of these narratives begin in a place of dark isolation. It's someone who's not in community. It's someone who's not trusting someone else and being open and transparent about what they're feeling, what they're thinking or believing, or what they think that they're receiving from the Holy Spirit. I truly believe that if a person is in community, practicing open transparency, asking questions, a lot of these half-baked and even poisonous ideas could be circumvented. Being in fellowship is so integral to the Christian walk. It defines us, it refines us, it builds us, it unifies our body as one. That's so good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it needs to be said too, like, I'm sure everybody in this room has felt alone in a crowd. Like, that'll happen. That's why, you know, we're a church, we're not a crowd. You know what I mean? We are a church, not a crowd. We are a body. And so with that comes relationships, comes co-laboring, comes co-operating alongside one another. And it's imperative. Like, a large church can feel like a small church if people are actually being the church and loving in relationship with one another. Come on, somebody. So as we grow, I had somebody say before, well, I just love it because it's a small church. It won't stay that way. We're a seed. We intend to grow. God intends to grow it. That's the point of the church is to see people rescued and see their lives taken over by Jesus and for heaven to win on the scoreboard in the end. Come on, that's the goal, right? And so we're going to grow and we're going to get larger. But if we do our part, you and I both, relationship, honest, open, transparent, like Adrian was just saying, man, we can make a large church feel like a small church no matter how big we get. Amen. And so I love what you were just saying because um, did you just bring up the idea of deconstruction? 
I think I mentioned it once or twice too. And honestly, like, we're seeing this in the world right now. Has, show of hands, has anybody heard this phrase, deconstruction? Okay, deconstruction is, uh, is messed up. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. Um, and honest to God, like, it is the biggest lie in our world right now because deconstruction isn't reformation. You know what I mean? Deconstruction isn't going back and going, what did the early church um, maybe get off on? What did some people say? You should what? explain what reformation is, though. I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Huh? Um, you know what I mean? Like, deconstruction isn't going back and, and going back. To, okay, so reformation is when we go back to what the scripture actually says. Okay, it's getting away from church tradition and church time and things like that we've seen, you know, maybe people get off on some weird things, you know, snake handling or whatever. It's getting away from these things and actually going back to what God's emphatic and infallible word of God says. Okay, that's reformation. We are reforming, okay, not reformed. We are reforming our thoughts, our beliefs based on the word of God. That's reformation. And then there's deconstruction, where, which is a huge problem because deconstruction is, is when people in the body of Christ, where we begin to view the scriptures through the lens of the world instead of view the world through the lens of the scripture. See, we are married to this book that was here long before we were and will be here long after us. That is what the church is all about. So yes, culture may change. Certain things may come and go. Some things might be frowned upon that we believe and we maintain. But I'm sorry, friends. I serve a God who was here before the earth was. <laughs> we will begin to implode, not just deconstruct, when we begin to look at the scriptures through the lens of the world instead of look at the world through lens of the scripture. And here's a problem. The danger in that lies because... We get outside of, you ever, okay, so when someone's deconstructing, let me, let me lay it out, real layman's terms. When someone is deconstructing their faith, where we get into danger with this, and when it no longer is reformation, but it's actually implosion, is when we begin to look outside the church for our answers. Yeah. When you decide to look outside the church for our answers, and people are sitting here going, well, that's just because the church is uncomfortable with our questions. Pastors are uncomfortable with our questions. Pastors don't have, uh, you know, the, the brass to stand up there and answer the hard stuff and talk about the hard stuff. No, we're going to talk about it. We're just going to talk about it through the lens of Scripture, not through the lens of the world. Yeah. We're going to talk about it through what God says his heart on the matter is, not what uh, your feelings and desires are on the matter. Like, friends, this is what it looks like. You see, the danger is, is that we begin to look outside the church, and when we begin to look outside the church, it's not God's way that we're seeking, it's our way that we're seeking. You wonder why? Because the church was his plan. God's plan. This was his plan. He made the body of Christ. He brought the church to fruition. This was his plan. This was his purpose, was that his sons and daughters would exist as an anatomy outside of the rest of the world, that we would be set apart, we'd be a light in the darkness, we'd be a city on a hill, we would have our own situation, that the church would actually not just be some 501c3 institution and organization, but that we would be a living, breathing organism. And when we begin to look outside the church for the answers and the questions that we have, it's no longer God's way that we're seeking. It's our way. And friends, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, can we just have a little science lesson for us? Can we just have a little biology lesson for us? The reason we're called to go through these questions and answers together with Havruta, like Adrienne just got done saying. Did I say that right, babe? Oh, look at me. It's because I learned how to say Phil's last name at his wedding. I can, I can pronounce anything now. Vedetich. Uh, Vedetich. Sorry, that's how he told me to say it. But Havruta, the whole reason, right? Exactly. The whole reason we have to keep this within the church is because we need to be centered. We need to have people who are just sold out emphatically to our best. Okay, we're not correcting you so we can get more out of you. We're not answering questions so that we can keep you tagging along. We're not doing that so that we can just keep the money rolling in. If that was the case, we would do some other Ponzi scheme, okay? This is the body of Christ, all right? I would go and sell Amway if that's what I wanted to do. Sorry to the Amway people in the house. Love you. But you know what I'm saying? This is the body and the bride of Christ. And when a portion of the body gets sick, when a portion of the body begins shutting down, when a portion of the body isn't sure what they believe, 
when a portion of a body isn't getting the signals from the rest of the body that it should be, when infection sets in, when something on the body is beginning to be attacked. Do you know what the rest of the body's response is? Biology lesson, friends. We start sending red blood cells. We start sending white blood cells. We start sending nutrients. We start signaling to the brain and to the rest of the body that something is wrong over here, that there is something that is needed, that we can leave the arm better than it was, that we can come around the leg better than it was, that we can leave somebody off and well-being and able to be healthy again. That is why if you are having an actual crisis of faith, We don't begin to look outside the body. Could you imagine if an arm was broken and just decided to cut me off? The rest of the body is trying to send red blood cells and to heal and to fix and to come alongside the inflammation and heal it. But you have decided to divorce yourself and remove yourself from the equation. Of course you're never going to get healthy. Of course you're never going to be well. Of course what was broken can never be fixed. Of course you will go off the rest of your life broken and berated and feeling degraded and separated because that is what you have chosen to do. An arm cannot live apart from the body. Amen? So much of what Matt is saying is the scripture in Romans that says, you know, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind because there is a pattern. There is a pattern, and this world wants to pattern you to look like it. And we are called, like Matt said, to be separated. We're called to be this idea of within, but also without, which I've been challenged by and obsessed with my entire life. To be within, but also to be without. It's to be in the world, but to be different from the world. So we're providing the light. We're providing the hope. We're providing a dying world with something that's opposing to the pattern that it's, it wants to engender in everyone. Um, when we're coming together as a body, that, that is so important because we're all sharing the same heart. We're all sharing the same DNA. And I have another animal reference, which I know <laughs> Zach at least loves. So <laughs> this one's for you, buddy. Um, fish do this thing that's called shoaling, which you might know as schooling. Fish will school. And it means that a single individual, will, they will gather together um, for traveling, sustenance, and purpose amid, to find purpose amid a greater body. It has a ton, of, a ton of benefits. Defense against predators, successful foraging, and increased success of finding a mate. Yeah. Um, just kidding. Um, but it's true. But it's true. When it comes to relationships, the really important ones in our lives, we want to be in relationship with people who are like-minded, who have the same heart as us. And that's not to say that we can't be friends with people who aren't Christians. We absolutely should. But when we are trusting our heart to those that we're doing life with, it should be with like-minded people who we're going to get a response out of them that's, that's Christ-like, that's, that's life-giving. Like Matt said, it's, you're not going to cut your arm off from the body. You're a part of the body. So in that way, you are doing life as a part of that body. Um, it is increasingly important to find, find the right partner that you're doing life with. Um, We have a ton of people who have recently gotten married, and this is something that is huge, but it's huge for everyone, not just people who who have gotten married or are married. But if you interact with another human being, these are four things that are super, super important and can be applied to any relationship that you have. Life is a labor, and we don't want to do it alone. When we get to the ends of our lives, we want to have a fruitful yield. We want to have a fruitful yield while we're living our lives. And by doing that, we have to find the right co-laborers. In Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. And again, like I said, if you are married, if you're heading that way, if you want to be married, or if you're just in a relationship with another human being, there are four things that are huge, huge, huge. One is communication, the way that we're talking to each other, the way that we're receiving from each other, huge. Number two is repentance. What that means is 
you are able to see when you have done something that is not correct and to apologize for doing it, to repent and to do your best to grow and change so that you're not doing that same repetitive pattern and behavior over and over again. Extension of grace is the number three. And when you're extending grace, it means that you are assuming the best about those that you're doing life with. Even if there's something funky that happens, even if there's a weird situation or something that was said that just seems off color to you or doesn't make sense, if you are remembering a person's heart, you will extend that grace and it will cover a lot of hurt, a lot of offense, a lot of things that you could take on yourself and be hurt by and carry. And, and the fourth one is forgiveness. Forgiveness is huge. And I think that all of our newly married couples are figuring that out right now. Forgiveness is a big, big deal. Guess what? When you're 30 years down the, the track, it's still gonna be a big, big deal. All of these things will be a big deal. These, again, are four huge things that you have to consider when you are in relationship with other people, whether you are newly married or not. Oh, that's so good. And, and I was just reminded of uh, this opening scripture that said, um, two are better than, hold on a second, how exactly do you say it? Right here, uh, woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to he that is alone who it will fall and does not have another to lift him up. How many of you know that, like, literally any battle you're in, any fight that you're in, any season of life that you're in, married life, single life, wherever you find yourself, maybe you're starting a business, any other area, maybe you're working for somebody, maybe you're a nanny, like, it doesn't matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of being a human, no matter where you're at, going at it alone, you can be overtaken alone. You can be overtaken alone. And how many of you know it's a lot easier to not be overtaken when you have friends? And how many of you know it's a lot easier to have friends when you know how to talk to people? <laughs> when you know how to talk to people? Because I love what Adrienne just put out there. Uh, when she's talking about communication, repentance, extension of grace and forgiveness. Because communication to me is the most essential one. Now, obviously... Grace is desperately needed. Forgiveness is desperately needed. Repentance is something that our culture knows none of, okay? But communication is the doorway to all of those things. Like if you don't know how to talk to another person, if you don't know how to speak their language, if you don't know how to speak to their heart, if you don't know how to say it with grace and empathy, if you don't know how to come to them in clarity, like if you do not know how to converse, to communicate, well, how many know it's going to be a lot harder to extend grace, ask for forgiveness, and repent and, 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 uh, and give forgiveness when it's needed? Right. And I will say that if your communication is good, there's a good chance you will circumvent having to extend forgiveness or grace or anything like that. Because if you're communicating clearly, you're receiving your understanding, then you're probably not even going to get into the weeds with offending someone or, or needing grace extension or anything like that. Oh, 100%. And, and, and communication is essential, not just only for that, but because as human beings, like, I bet you can answer this question. Do you know how to best love yourself? Let me put it this way. Do you know how best you receive love? Right? Like, I'm a guy, and so for me, it's like, tell me how great I am, touch me, and tell me how great I am. Like, that's how I best receive love, right? As a man. It's true. All the fellows in the place, come on, you know it. And uh, women are probably more like words of affirmation, uh, acts of service, uh, quality time. And I'm like, just stroke my ego and touch me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a pretty basic guy, unfortunately. And I should probably grow in some other areas. But we all know how best you and I receive love. And it's somewhere along the way, um, maybe we've never had it. I don't know. I wasn't around at the beginning. But... At some point, we have gotten away from actually caring about how one another best receive love. We have gotten so far away from the communal experience that we were called and made to have in the Garden of Eden. You, me, all of us, we were originally intended to walk side by side with God in a perfect world with perfect harmony and perfect union. All of these things, that was God's intention. And so we would have perfectly understood how to best love another human being and how they would best receive that and somewhere along the way we get away from that and so we need to find out that 
communication is essential. Even Solomon, Solomon in the scripture, he goes, how's he put it? He says, one can lie down, but how can one keep warm? Friends, that's actually really prolific and really uh, smart when it comes to communication because guess what? How are you going to know if someone's cold or not? You're going to talk to them. You're going to communicate. How are you going to know if somebody actually wants you to lie down with them? Married people. Communication. You know what I'm saying? Like communication is at the center of everything that we do. And honestly, I think before you even get into marriage, before you are even dating, I think this is something, and we're not going to turn this into a marriage seminar, but because we have so many people who are entering into this season we, in our church, we have so many people who are married in our church, and we got so many people who, if you got this right now in your singleness, Man, it would improve all of your relationships, not just your future marriage. Like learning to communicate now while you're single is going to save you so much heartache and so much egg on your face when you're married later on. Come on. All the married people said amen, right? Amen. Can I just give you a word of advice this morning? Ask questions. Ask questions. I don't know where we got this. I, I know that in movies, like, there's the annoying kid at the table who's just asking a million questions, and the mom, like, slaps him with a ruler, and is like, stop asking so many questions. It's rude. I don't know if that's what happened. I don't know if that's where we got off track. I don't know if that's where we lost the ability to be inquisitive people. But, friends, if you want to know how best someone is to receive love from you, start asking them questions. It's not rude. It's, it's, it's not something that's going to anger them. You are going to them. You're starting a relationship. This is called forming a bond with somebody. You want to best be able to serve them as a Christian the best way that you can. And we need to go to them and go, hey, in our friendship, in our relationship, in our marriage, how best can I serve you? That's a question. How best can I serve you? Like, hey, babe, we just had a massive blowout, knockdown, dragout brawl because I did something dumb, obviously would never be Adrienne. I did something dumb. Do you need time to, you know, process that, or do you want to hash it out right no, now? No, I want you to get away from me. Right. <laughs> How best can I serve you? You want to talk about this right now? You want to go? You want to talk about it? Get loud? Yeah. Or do you need a minute to collect your thoughts? Do I need to just to exist in the uncomfortability of silence and in a moment away from my wife for two hours? Am I, am, I, am I the only one? I'm so uncomfortable. Like, how do I go play PlayStation when we just had a fight? It is like, really hard for him. It is. I've, I've gotten better. Let's settle it here so we can have a great night, you know? But these are questions that we should be asking in the budding moments of our relationships. If you're single in this place or you're just looking for friends, hey, when you're going through something, I want to go through it with you. But how best do you need somebody? Like, honestly, like, what if we ask these questions? What if we are bold enough and love people enough to actually not just have happenstantial situational relationships, but we cared enough in the interim, in the beginning, in the middle of it, and go, hey, when you're going through it, financial issues, confusion, stuff isn't great at home, when schooling isn't being approved and making sense, whatever the situation is, do you need me to, like, have an answer ready? Do you need me to have scripture ready to go? Do you need me just being there to comfort you or even just to be a listening yeah. ear? What if we were that intentional and purposeful with our relationships yeah. when they were starting in their infancy and we just said, hey, how best can I love you as a friend? That's great. That's fantastic. I think one of the things that I learned because I am a total introvert, like this is very unnatural for me. She's a total me. liar. Okay. I was a total introvert, was. and then Jesus dramatically changed my life and changed me. And that doesn't mean that I still don't struggle. Like, I still struggle with being communicating with people and being on all the time. And um, one of the things that I did find was asking someone about them. Like, if you meet someone new and you're not really sure what to say, and you're not really sure how to, how to engage them, asking them about them. Because people love talk about themselves and not in a bad way it's great especially this guy um it, it is bad it is bad no um asking someone about themselves showing genuine interest like i love learning about people it's like there's a million different people billions of different people out there and we all have something different that makes us tick that makes us work and i am so fascinated with figuring that out and some people, like Matt kind of said, if you have 
it should go deeper than just asking how someone is. And if you can tell that something's not right, don't just say, oh, okay, and walk on with the rest of your day. Like, you're called to engage. You're called to kind of drag that, or not drag, but pull or just gently kind of suss out what's going on with them. You're, you're called to care. Sometimes you're called to drag it out of them. Sometimes. 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 But the Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will lead you when it's that kind of situation. But when we're talking about repentance, extension of grace, and forgiveness, one thing I did want to say is that at TakeOver, we're a discipleship church. So we want to model any of the things that we are trying to kind of show you or teach you. Or it's as much for us as it is for anyone else. And with our leadership team in particular, you are going to see people who are being openly transparent, who value honesty and transparency. Um, and we want you to see that in our leadership. We're not just going to tell you something and then not put that on ourselves, not do that ourselves. We want to be actively doing and acting out the things that we are telling you that Christ says are important for his people. Um, as far as extending grace, it can be so easy for us to get inside of our heads with just something that's said or a misunderstanding. We, I have like a thousand misunderstandings a day, literally. Things that I interpret as, oh my gosh, they were trying to hurt my feelings, or they said this and that means blah, 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 when really it's just we're all humans and we forget things. And we, we have to remember the heart of, of the people that we are doing life with. Um, don't interpret it with your feelings interpret it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you need more than that, interpret it with the help of someone who, who is going to speak truth in life, not someone who's going to just throw fuel on the fire and, and make it worse. Um, we always have to re be remembering a person's heart. Um, if something strikes you as odd, remembering that the person's heart or extending that grace first will save you so much pain. It will change the context of how you're perceiving um, something that was said or an action. If you actively see people apologizing in our leadership or being humble in our leadership, that is what we want. We're doing this thing so that you're seeing it actively working in our, in our culture. It's a part of our culture. Um, humility is not wrong, by the way. I think that the world kind of wants to wants everybody to fly their own flag or blow their own horn, and it's just like humility is, is something that is is putting Christ at the forefront, saying that he is more than I will ever be. I want to be like him. Um, humility is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Don't ever, ever misunderstand that. Um, and also be quick to forgive. This is our family. We do life together. We hurt each other. It happens. It sucks, but we extend forgiveness and we, and we heal. And our relationships will be even stronger when we're, we're actively doing that. Um, the expectation is that, again, you're seeing these characteristics in our leadership. We're not just talking about them, but we are actively applying them to our lives every single day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got a couple really good lessons as a young man in ministry and a young man in general. Um, one of them was uh, more things are caught than they are taught. Yeah. More things are caught than they are taught. And people will learn so much about who God is, who Jesus is, who the church is, what it's all about, simply by being around you and not just being taught by you. Yeah. Like it, the DNA bleeds, come on somebody, DNA overpours. And so there's so many things that are caught in our lives that aren't taught. And that should put a little bit of fear of God in us too, right? Like we should want to be, we need to be responsible for what people are catching from us, not just what we're teaching them. Yeah, that's huge, right? Yep. And I think another thing, too, that I learned as a young man, real quick, and we'll get back to our regularly scheduled program, is for those of us that have been hurt before, or the people who maybe have done the hurting, uh, what somebody told me one time, because I have the face like a bulldog, said, Matt, you need to control your face. Good leaders control their face, is what I was said. Good leaders control their face. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, whether you're into something or you're not into something or whatever, your face just looks like. You know, and they were like, seriously, control your face. And because when it comes to asking someone to remember the heart of somebody in the moment of question, that's extending grace. I also consider extending grace, controlling your face. Because you are then uh, foregoing an opportunity for someone to be hurt or offended simply because you were just like, you know what I mean? Like, if we love each other well, we'll be in control of our face. Is that preaching? 
Come on, somebody. But I love this because I love about forgiveness and repentance comes in any relationship, whether it's church relationships, marriage relationships, familiar relationships. As Christians, and here's the deal, as this is us is going on, this is us is all about us recognizing and returning to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, which as we learned last week in the last few weeks, is one that is disciplined in the ways of Jesus. And I look at Jesus' life and I, and I see how he has lived and I see how he laid it all down for us. And I feel like I have never looked at Jesus' life and just saw him in bondage to bitterness. I've never looked at the life of Jesus and saw him in chains to unforgiveness. I've never looked at how Jesus talked to somebody, rebuked somebody, attempted to correct somebody, loved somebody. I've never seen him weighed down by hurt and offense. I've never looked at that. And if I'm to be disciplined, if I'm to be a disciple in the ways of Jesus, then man, I gotta be able to look at the life of Jesus and commit myself to saying, that's how I wanna walk. That's how I wanna live. That's how I wanna forgive. Do I wanna live a life where I am in bondage to bitterness, where I am chained down by unforgiveness, or do I wanna be like Jesus and be the quickest to forgive in the room? Do I want to be like Jesus and be the, well, he's never had to, but do I want to be like Jesus and live a life where I don't have to repent? That'd be awesome. I'd love to get there. But until I get there, until I arrive at that level, well, then, man, I want to be the person in the room that's the next best thing to Jesus, and I'm quick to repent. I don't want my life. I don't want my, my legacy. I don't want someone's interpretation of Matt McClure or of Takeover Church as to leave here and be like, man, that person is just full of bitterness. That person is just weighed down with unforgiveness. Like there is just something that doesn't taste right about that person. No, every single person who came across Jesus, man, they came across love and grace and truth and clarity and all of these things. And they left tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. What have they left tasting and seeing about the Lord when they came with Matt McClure? Because I don't look at Jesus being weighed down or chained down by bitterness and unforgiveness. Instead, I see him hanging himself there on a cross based on love and forgiveness. Am I doing the same? Am I doing the same? What does my life, what does my relationships, what does the echoes in my world, what am I putting out there? What is that telling people? Is it pointing them back to the cross of Jesus? Or am I pointing people back to moments of hurt and offense and bitterness and roots that I didn't dig out and things that I didn't lay down at the foot and cross of Jesus? As Christians, we should be the quickest to get to forgiveness. I look at family situations. Adrian and I were just talking about like our people and where we come from and forgiveness and things that have happened and offenses that have taken place. And the church, like you just said, we're a family, we're a body. We will hurt and offend each other. Ultimately, there will be something that Matt McClure does that you will feel like Matt failed me. I'm telling you up front, I will hurt you and it will suck and I'm sorry about that, but I'm human and you'll hurt me and I'll be offended by you. And guess what? As a Christian, as a Jesus follower, not just as a pastor, I'm asking us both to be so committed to being the quickest to forgive. Could you imagine the security that people will feel when they join the body and bride of Christ through Takeover Church, when they realize everybody else in the room is inoffendable? That while they're getting their sea legs about them, they're figuring this thing out. Everyone else here is inoffendable. They're not, we're not gonna be hurt by their mistakes. We're not gonna be offended by their hiccups. We're not gonna cast them out like lepers because they get something wrong, but this is the safest place to fail because the Jesus followers is full of white blood cells that are inoffendable. Come on, what a safe place for someone who's finally meeting their creator, finally meeting their father to come and begin to walk in the ways of Christ and understanding, wow, this bride, she's unlike any other bride. She's unlike my bride. She's unlike my spouse. She's unlike any other person I've ever met. I cannot offend these people. I can come in here with all of my baggage, with all of my hurt, and they are loving me like Jesus. Because we're the quickest to forgive. We're the quickest to repent. Come on.
That's good. Um, the last bit of scriptures, um, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And this is so important, um, but I see such a great need for it right now because we have we are coming out of, pan of a pandemic that separated us, separated a lot of us in a lot of different ways, either from work or from church or from family. And we were isolated, and things get weird when we are isolated. As the world grows darker and darker, we have to be coming together. We have to be uniting as a body, not just as a community, as a church, but as the body of Christ, as his people. Um, we have people that are, that are coming out of the woodwork that are calling themselves Christian that are literally taking apart the word of God, like Matt said, talking about deconstruction and putting it back together to fashion, kind of similar to what Matt said last week, that they want Jesus to be a disciple of their doctrine, not they want to be a disciple of Jesus, which is completely wild and dangerous and inappropriate. It's important to be in community. The enemy rejoiced when he saw that hit, that we were not able to get together. Like, he was excited about that. We are more powerful. We're able to defend ourselves. We are able to be that much more powerful when we come together as a single body. Can I jump in real quick yes, on that? Yes, absolutely. Barnum Research, which is an amazing Christian research group, they do a lot of uh, polling and statistics and things like that. And they literally dropped a study just weeks ago that said 40% of Christians will return to church after the pandemic. 40%. Only 40%. Only 40%. And you don't think hell's not throwing a hallelujah party of their own? Right. No. And I understand the issue of COVID, and I understand those things. We all have to make a personal decision of, is it fear that will govern our lives, or is it the blood of Christ? and the covering that we have in that sacrifice that he's made for us. And we, we aren't not aware, we aren't not, a, we aren't not afraid, we, we aren't afraid. We are so sold out to the idea of Jesus's covering and his protection and his healing for his people that we are gonna do this thing until the wheels come off. Like we're gonna be here every Sunday, we're gonna be doing the dang thing. When the pandemic first started, I think we did church from our house what was it, four weeks, five, six? Like nothing. We were right back in the building. Even if there was five people here, we were right back in the building as, me, as immediately as they would let us in the building because we were renting a, a building at that time. We are so sold out to the community coming together that we will always, always be here for you. And when it comes to the deconstruction and, and the weirdness that happens, um, being in community will really safeguard from those ideas and that, that discouragement and that twisting of God's truth. Being in community and having others come around us and, and speak truth and speak life. I had someone who left church years ago say to me that the Holy Spirit had told her something that was contrary to the word of God. And that's why she was leaving TakeOver. The Holy Spirit is one in three with God. The Holy Spirit is not going to be contrary to themselves. The Holy Spirit is not going to say something to you individually, just to you, that is contrary to the Word of God or contrary to the gospel of Jesus. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, our message needs to be, lastly, that community is going to safeguard us all. It's going to protect us in so many ways. We're going to be able to defend in so many better, in, in, in a better way if we are together, if we are united. The church as a whole needs to come together. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. And, I, and as you were saying that, I just kind of got a picture of like centurion soldiers creating a circle with shields and spears. And that's exactly what the church is for one another, for other Christians. We come together with our shields up, with our swords up. We got the armor of God on, and we will protect who has fallen. We will protect who is standing there. We will protect what we stand for, and we will march on. Amen? And so this morning, a woe to thee alone. See, a woe is being defined as a distress signal. A woe is a flare that goes up 
in Scripture where you see it and it is a pump the brakes. It is a yield sign. It is, this is needed. This is a distress call. This is a plea to a dying generation to say, don't go at it alone. Amen. Because here's the deal. You can be overtaken on your own. You cannot be looked after on your own. You cannot accomplish. Worship team, you can make your way up here. You cannot accomplish your God-given purpose and destiny alone. You can't. What God made you to do, what he placed you on this earth for, the purpose that he has designed and ordered you for, you were born for such a time as this, but you were not born to exist outside of this. You were made with intentionality and purpose, but that purpose is only found, it only comes alive, it is only made apparent, it's only fully realized and manifested in the earth within the bride and body of Christ. Friends, you will leave so much more on the table at the end of your life than you will take with you from the table if you try and go at this thing alone. If you try and live a life alone, the word of God says, I have prepared a place for you in the midst of your enemies. Okay, it might be a table for you in the midst of your enemies, but it is a table that is prepared for you in the, uh, in the relationship and in the home of your church. This table that God has prepared for you, where he just gets to look down the devil in hell and say, you can't touch them, you can't have them, not today, Satan. That table is set up for you in the house of God. Friends, don't go at it alone. Every area in your life will be enhanced, will be made healthy, will be made whole, and will be made bigger in a community of God. You see, no matter how smart I get theologically, no matter how much continued schooling I have, no matter how much I attempt to grow theologically in the things of God, the knowledge I gain. What I need in life is a body of believers around me that can keep pace, that can slow down with me when I'm hurting, that can encourage me to keep going when I'm falling behind, that can administer Jesus and model Jesus for me when I'm not feeling him and when I'm not seeing him. You see the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes in first Colossians 1 27. I think we have it on the Sky Bible. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is this Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And friends, I'm in desperate need of the hope of glory that's on the inside of you. It doesn't matter how much knowledge I obtain, how many certificates I get, how far along in this thing that we go. 50 years from now, I will still be in desperate need of the hope that is in the inside of you. And friends, I believe that you will never graduate from the place either where you're not in desperate need of the hope of glory that's on the inside of the person to your left or the inside of the person to your left or your right or on the other side of you or me, myself. We will always be in a desperate hope place where I need what's on the inside of you to remind me what's on the inside of him. God's plan is that he would make known the hope of glory that is in him within the church. The local church is God's plan. We are going to have Scott come up here in a second and lead us in a moment of prayer. If you have anything today in regards to community, 
repentance, forgiveness, any of these things that you're feeling, bitterness, as Matt mentioned before. Don't leave this place carrying any of that. We have a prayer team in the back. Scott's going to lead us in prayer, and I'm just going to close us out. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the ability to sit up here with my amazing husband and to sit before our community and just share the things that you've been dropping in our hearts. God, we don't take it for granted, and we do this because we want to be more like you every single day. We want to see you glorified. We want to see you move powerfully in Grand Rapids. Move powerfully in your people now. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.